You're listening to the teaching of Doxa Church. Doxa is located in Spartanburg, South Carolina, and our mission is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Everyone else, please take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Ruth. Book of Ruth, chapter 2, right after the book of Judges. It's a small love story nestled in the Old Testament, and we're going through this tale as old as time. Uh, This is a gorgeous love story, and I'm calling today's message, Beauty and the Boaz. Beauty and the Boaz. Do you like that one? Well, if you were with us last week, you saw how, we all saw together, how this story didn't start out too gorgeous and beautiful. It really started out pretty dark, pretty grim. And when life gives you no answers, and there's a lot of pain and death and famine, whatever that is for you, what we saw here was that you can always, you can't always judge what you see It's an accurate interpretation of what's really going on. That was the big takeaway. And of course, God is always writing a story for his people. Even when we don't understand it, even when it doesn't feel like it, even when it doesn't seem like it, and there's no answers, God is doing that for his people. He's writing a story. And this is no different for Ruth. It's no different for us. Just like Your life has plot twists and turns. There's sun and gray. But at the end of the day, love is going to win because of Jesus Christ, our Savior, who we just sang about. Now, for Ruth and Naomi, when we left off at the end of chapter 1, things seemed, hope itself seemed pretty distant, pretty far away. But they were traveling to Bethlehem. That's where we left off last week. And now... um, If you can't already tell from the title, we are going to meet the Mr. Darcy character of of this love story. And um, this man just so happens to be a picture and a type of Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. So we're going to get to even more of that next week in chapter 3. But you may wonder, well, where's the outline, David? Uh, This one, we're just going to walk through this story because there's really no better way to do it. I I don't want to, like, make it anticlimactical. I don't want to just make this into an outline. Like, it's, it's not, you know, a Pauline epistle here, okay? We're just going to go through Ruth chapter 2. And it's one of those stories where the more you read it, the more things you pick up on. Just like a good movie. You watch the movie once, and then you go back, and you catch a whole bunch of things that you never quite caught the first time. That's what this story is like. But the providence of God is going to be on full display. As I said, the, the hero of this whole story is our sovereign, almighty God, our good father who is orchestrating all of this behind the scenes. And he is writing something and bringing something together for good. Just like we we heard already this morning from Romans 8, God works all things together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. That's our sovereign God. So today's message is similar to last week in the sense that this is another sermon about trusting God, about not letting your circumstances determine how you're going to live your life, 
But this morning, we're actually going a step further in that same vein, and we are going to have, as this love story unfolds, we're going to have some very specific, practical application on how you can actually trust God in those dark times. You could even say it this way. This entire message in one sentence is, don't let the page that you're on dictate the next line that you're going to write. So, yes, we talk about God is in control. Trust God. He has this. But we're going to get really specific this morning in the life of both Ruth and Boaz and see what you can do when it doesn't feel great and when it doesn't look good. So we're moving beyond those cliche phrases and we're getting specific. Um, you know, I don't know anyone else in the room just cringes a little bit sometimes when you hear those phrases in, in, the, in the worst possible time, right? Like, hey, you know those everything is going to be great lines, right? You know, when, 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 uh, when God shuts a door, he opens a window. Maybe you've heard that one at the, at the worst time. Not to say that that's a bad phrase to ever use, but sometimes it just doesn't help you. Or your setback is the beginning of your comeback, right? Like, that only goes so far, okay? Like, what can I actually do right now in this moment? I need, I need something tangible that I can sink my teeth into. And yes, those phrases are fine at face value sometimes. There's, there's circumstances where you can use those in a conversation, but it needs to be a conversation, and there needs to be more to it. So this is about understanding your part in that story. So you're going to see that you can't let the page you're on dictate the next line that you're going to write because you have a responsibility. So let's go to the text, Ruth chapter 2, and we're going to slowly work through this entire chapter together this morning. We're going to see how you can trust God and you can navigate through these times with more than a just feel-good pep phrase that lasts for five seconds. All right, let's, let's get into it. Ruth chapter 2, hope you're there by now. Verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. I'm going to stop right there. Uh, there's a lot we can learn about Boaz in this introduction, but even before we get to that part, uh, I can't help but smile and laugh at God's sense of humor here in verse 3 at the phrase, she happened. You could just underline that. If you're, if you're a person who likes to underline things in your Bible, I guarantee you, the author of this story, whoever it was who was writing the story, was probably grinning from ear to ear when they wrote that line. She just so happened to walk into the field of the most eligible bachelor in all the land. Okay, you think? You think that was just a coincidence? Is there such thing as luck after everything we've already seen in chapter one? I think not. I, I, I know, you know, f you know, fortune favors the bold and all that. But we're talking here about the providence of God. God is truly orchestrating this. And he has Naomi find this field with this man named Boaz. All right. Now, Boaz himself, his name means in him 
is strength. Remember I told you last week, like everybody in this story, their name means something. In him is strength. Isn't that just a great name? Boaz? Love that name. And, and I know, uh, you know, we, we are having lots of young children come into this world, in this church. So, hey, Doc's a family. Let's get on that. Somebody needs to name their kid Boaz. I'm just saying that. I'll just throw that out there. Um, I don't think Julie's going let to me, let me work that one in. We have a very strict formula that we somehow created for, to make all of our names match. So I, I doubt we can pull that off. If it was up to me, I would get a whole bunch of Old Testament names. That would be sweet. Um, but no, Boaz is a great name. Somebody get on that. But here's the thing about Boaz. Um, he is a relative of Elimelech. And we saw Elimelech last week. He's now dead. Okay, that was Naomi's husband. But what did Elimelech do in tough times? When the times got tough, Elimelech got going, right? Like, he left Bethlehem. He went to Moab. He put his family in a very compromising, difficult, awful situation where they were away from God's people. Naomi was surrounded now by, by people who worship demons, literally. And her, her, their sons, you know, married Moabite women, like, and then Elimelech died. Elimelech, did, he, he didn't count the cost of what he was doing. He went for greener pastures to make more money so the family wouldn't go hungry. He ended up dying anyway. That's what was going on with a lot of people in the book of Judges. There, were, there was no king at that time. God was not ruling and reigning in those people's hearts, and they were doing what was right in their own eyes. So that was Elimelech. That was most people, but that wasn't everybody. There's always a remnant, right? There's always a remnant. And even when the, the darkest of times were there, there were men like Boaz who stayed in Bethlehem, and he prospered in Bethlehem. Do you see that? This man has a field. He has, he has some wealth, and he is making wise choices. He's doing the right things, and God is blessing him. So notice how... Um, in verse 4, Boaz is going to address his, address his employees. Let's pick it up where we left off. Verse 4. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man, who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? All right. You cue the soft jazz music there. Um, <laughs> You're picking up the hearts, beating a little faster. Who is that? All right, so Boaz notices Ruth, and, uh, and he starts asking some questions. This is where the story really starts to get good. I hope you're picking this up. We have attraction here. At the, in this, this is the first piece of this love story between Ruth and Boaz, and there is physical attraction, most obviously. That's important. There's nothing wrong with being attracted to a girl. But instead of just finding out her number and texting, hey, <laughs> or texting, what's up, want to hang out? He doesn't do any of that, right? He doesn't do that. What does Boaz do? Let's, let's keep reading. Verse, verse 6. And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, 
Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. All right, I, I want to just pause here and just point out that um, Boaz does something that's very, very impressive. He makes an investigation. I'll keep, I'll keep reading. Verse, verse 8, let's just keep going here because he finds out even more about her. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young woman. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to draw vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have you found favor in your eyes? Why have I found favor in your eyes? That you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner. Look at this. This is what Boaz has already found out. He did way more research. Verse 11. But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. And the Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. So the first thing that Boaz does after his attraction is investigation. And I think this is very, very important to point out because of the culture that we live in today. I mean, in one side, let's be real. Everybody does their homework, right? How do you do that? When you're attracted to someone, well, get on the socials and find out like what they're like and let's get as much information as we can and pretend to be chill about it, right? And not let on that we've done that. So, so that happened. I mean, I'm off the dating scene, way off the dating scene, thank the Lord. Uh, so I'm not really familiar with all of this stuff, just picking up bits and pieces here and there. But I know, from what I know, you know, you're going to find out as much as you can and pretend like it's no big deal, right? Is, hopefully I'm right on that. Uh, I feel like that happens more often than not. Boaz goes all in. He finds out who this girl is because, yes, she has a pretty face, but he wants to know what's in her heart. What's her character like? You know, what makes her tick? Why, why does she think the way she thinks? Who is this girl? He does a full investigation. He has a full report from all the different people he's talked to. And there is nothing wrong with that. All right, ladies? There's nothing wrong with a man doing his homework. Men, there's nothing wrong with you going out and talking to a few people to find out what that girl is like before you even approach her. So I want us to see here that taking interest the right way matters. It really does. In verse 22, Naomi spells something out to Ruth in, in black and white that some of you are probably already picking up on. And she says, stick with the young woman of Boaz's business because then you won't be assaulted. So, so there is an actual piece here of this isn't really the safest place for a single young lady. There are the wrong fields that you can find yourself in, and the reapers can take advantage of the young woman. You also may be still struggling with that verse 8 where, it said, where, where Boaz approaches her and says, 
my daughter. Did anybody like, oh, you're still trying to get past that one? I just have to say, um, this, is, this is a different culture in an ancient time, right? thousand years before Jesus Christ. From Hebrew, translated into English. So we don't really know. I mean, there's this one of those things where he's being respectful to a, to a single young woman. And don't take this as like a pickup line, all right? Like, it's, there's nothing weird about this. This is just kind of hard. There's not really a tight correlation to what this would be in English. I don't really know what it is. But it's just basically a godly man showing respect to a younger woman. That's, that's the way he's addressing her. And that's so important. The first thing Boaz does after he investigates is he shows concern for her purity and protection. He protects. He has, he has a heart of protection. And young ladies, this is what you need to look for in a man. Young, man, young men in the room, this is the kind of guy you need to be for the right girl who is looking for a man who has that kind of heart. Don't enter into a relationship or stay in a relationship with a man who doesn't care about your purity, who doesn't care about protecting that. And guys, don't chase girls who, 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 who throw that to the side and just chase after you and, and just throw themselves at you. That is not the type of girl that you want to be with for the rest of your life. When you're dating, you have to be smart. You don't, just, you don't just go hang out in the bedroom alone with the door shut, right? Don't just watch a movie with, under a blanket the whole time. Like Stuff's going to happen. You have to be smart. You have to protect yourself. Find, find yourself a guy like Boaz who has this kind of integrity. And, and when you see Ruth's response, she fell on her face. She bowed down. She was blown away by his kindness. Who is this guy? And where did he come from? He has genuine care and concern for me. So do you think she's better or worse with this guy in her life? Much better. No matter what happens right now, she is, no matter what happens with this date that's about to happen, she is already better off because of Boaz. And, you know, they're not married yet. They're not even really dating yet, right? But he is treating this woman with respect. In the New Testament, when Paul is writing to Pastor Timothy, uh, and he's actually instructing Timothy on how to teach his church, do you remember in 1 Timothy 5 what Paul says to Timothy? Paul says to train younger men to treat younger women in the church as sisters. Okay? You don't go out there and flirt with your sister, do you? Play with her emotions and toy with her heart. and No one's going to kiss their sister, right? <laughs> That's the way a young Christian man who loves and respects young women should treat them as a sister in Christ. In that way, when you're dating, you're not getting, you're doing all, you're not doing all these things that tie or knit your hearts together. And when there's a when there's a difference and there's a break, there's just a broken heart. You don't have that. You don't have to have that when you're literally making your goal to uplift them and to build them up. You can actually go on some dates, it doesn't have to work out, and you can still part ways, and it still can be a mutually beneficial thing. Because you respect that girl and you're protecting that girl. Same thing, vice versa, right? That's the way it should work. Now, 
Ruth expresses the fact that she is just overjoyed. She is blown away by his love. Um, and this is incredible. This is the most eligible bachelor in all the land. He's loaded. He's got the money. And he's also, not only is he a hunk, but he actually cares and he's got a good heart. Wow, what is going on? He's looking out for me. Quite the morning, wouldn't you say? I, I, I dare say some girls would, be, would, would feel the temptation to just go home and talk to Naomi. And, and like, I can't believe this is really happening. But that's, that was quite a morning. But in verse 14, we have lunch break, okay? And again, you can cue that romantic background music because we're about to step into the first date, all right? Let's pick it up in verse 14. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. All right, we, we, have, we have two little people at, at the cafeteria. It's lunchtime. Boy wants to share his cookies. Here, have, have some Nutter Butters. <laughs> I know. I, don't think about that too long. Verse, uh, so she sat beside the reapers, picking up in verse 14, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some leftover. I love that the reapers are getting, like, thrown in on this. And this is like, I know, we're, we're translating this as a different culture, but this is just like, it's lunch, and Ruth's like, come on, or Boaz is like, come on over here. The reapers are passing more and more food. She's get, she, she, she can't even handle all this food. She has too much food. She has to start hiding it getting a doggy bag of extra food. Verse 15, when she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. Also, pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So we're at the halfway point here, and the story is getting really good. Ruth goes back to work. After this, after this lunch. And I just want to, I want to pause right here and, and have like an intermission of this story and remind you of the main theme of the play right now. Don't let the page you're on dictate the next line you're going to write. So we've talked a lot about Boaz, right? But put yourself in Ruth's shoes for a minute. Ruth was a foreigner. Her husband was dead. She had no kids. And her only family member was a self-professing, bitter person, Naomi. Um, so, if, so if you really think about this, she's from Moab, her people are known for worshiping demon gods. She's living in a tent. She doesn't really have a home. She doesn't really have anything, right? Her Christian mingle account is not that impressive. It's like a profile pic of her and the bitter old lady next to her. It's a package deal. And uh, how many guys are really going to be going after that, right? Let's be, let's be honest. Unless you're Boaz. And God's, God's working something and writing something here. But from this opening chapter on, we see someone who is in a really bad place. And what is she doing? She's not staying in that bad place. She's not turning herself into a victim. Because the temptation would be, Whoa, my husband's dead. I'm going over here. I'm going to have to lower my standards, okay? I'm, I'm going to have to just figure it out, take matters into my own hands. I'm going to have to do something to make this work, so I'm going to lower my standards. 
That's not what Ruth did at all. Ruth actually says, Naomi, are you all right if I get up early, early in the morning and go out to the field and glean from the reapers, the stuff that they drop? And this is actually something that God had actually um, put in the law for his people. If you go all the way back to the book of Leviticus, uh, when, they're, when they're reaping the harvest through the field, they can only make one pass. You couldn't actually go back and make a second soup and pick up all the stuff that, that fell. Only one pass, and they also couldn't get the corners of the field. So God actually preserved that and saved that for people who were destitute, people who were homeless, people who had nothing else. So somehow, some way, Naomi knew that that was the case. Maybe she learned it from Naomi in those 10 years together. I don't know. But Naomi knew, or Ruth knew, I need to get to work. I need to actually make the next best wise choice. I'm not going to sit here and pout and pity myself. Woe is me. What am I going to do next? I'm going to actually get busy. That's what Ruth did. She believes in God, and she had faith in his providence. Ruth realizes things are hard right now, but God is good. I am not forsaken. He will not allow me to fail. He will provide, and I will find a way through faith in him to move forward and take the next right step. That's what we see from Ruth. And yes, fortune favors the bold, but why do you think that is? Because God is behind it all. She's not letting her current circumstances determine her outlook. She's not parking on the same page forever. She's not reacting to everything that happened to her. She's acting. She's moving forward. I'm not going to stay here and cry on this page. I'm going to keep writing. It's a new day. And God is with me, and God is for me, and I'm, I'm going to let that move me forward. So that concludes our intermission of where we're at. Time for Act, act 2 of Chapter 2. Who's ready to, uh, to read about a slightly sappy uh, continuation of this story as she, goes, as she goes home? You know, we already went through the whole dipping, dipping the bread and the wine. We already went through all of that. Verse 17, she gets back to work. And she gleaned in the field until evening. And then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephath of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth, the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, 
It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. So we see a different side of Naomi here, don't we? I don't think it was just the really good leftovers from the doggy bag of all the extra food that, that Boaz was sliding her way. I, I mean, that might have helped her get in a better mood, maybe, because it was, sounds like it was good food. But Naomi is, is catching wind to something bigger, right? God is writing a beautiful story here, and Naomi is starting to catch on. At first, you almost, when you read verse 23, and it's just like, so Naomi finishes working this whole season, and she stays living with her mother-in-law. At first, that almost seems like, to me, like an anticlimactical way to end this chapter after this big flirty lunch, and not really flirty, but like this, you know, this, this awkward date and, and everything that's happening. You're like, wait, she just goes back and lives with her mother-in-law? Come on. That's not the way we want to end this. We want a, we want a wedding, right? We're not there yet. Because right now, Ruth is staying faithful. She's doing what she needs to do. If you look, if you look closely, chapter 2 starts with Ruth saying, I'm going to get up and I'm going to go to work. And it ends with Ruth going to work. This chapter is bookended by the simple, almost daily grind, right? Like this not, not, really, like, not really like awesome experience. It's just the daily grind of, of what you're supposed to do. Do what, you're, do what God has called you to do. And a lot of times when we're in the middle of the dark valley, we don't have answers. And we pray and we cry out to God like, what should I do? What do I do? God, what are you doing? A lot of times God's just like, what have I already told you to do? What have I already told you to do? You, you, you want to have a good marriage? <laughs> you want your marriage to be better? Well, how much time are you spending with your wife? How, how much are you sacrificing for your husband? You, you want to have a great, happy home? Well, okay. How much time are you spending with your kids? You want your career to prosper and flourish? Okay. Well, are you doing what God told you to do first? Are you faithful to a church community? Are you investing in the lives of others? Are you being the right husband and father? Are you taking time for your kids? I would say do that first before you're focused on Retirement, right? Ruth is staying faithful to God. She's doing what she knows he's already told her to do. She's not letting the page that she's on dictate what she's going to write. Because, yeah, you could easily turn yourself into a victim right now, but that's not happening. She's taking it one day at a time, making the next best choice. And right now she's faithfully supporting her mother-in-law because that's what she committed to do. She committed to sticking with Naomi. It's unromantic, it's unglamorous. The hard work of getting up early, gleaning in the field, going back home every night tired, back to Naomi. It's not as flashy as that awesome time that I had that time with Boaz. There was something there, but she's waiting. And I think we've all seen this before, where a guy or a girl, they meet, you know, they meet, 
and, and they just pull away from everyone else. Have you ever seen that before? The, the friends that they had that, that know them, that know their history, that, that have invested in them, that love them, they just kind of push them off. And they're so infatuated with whoever's in front of them right there. We see an example of Ruth. She is not doing that. She is sticking with Naomi right now. So in closing, there's two things here that are very important for all of us today. You have to see these. Whether you're single, whether you're dating, whether you're married, we have, from God's word, some insightful applications for how you can move forward. We already talked about faithfulness from Ruth. Stop waiting on God and do what he's already told you to do. That's where you have to start. You can't just wait for, for God to just drop a Boaz into your life out of thin air, all right? Ruth didn't wait for that, right? She got busy. She got in the field, and then it happened. I already touched on this during the intermission, but the story truly begins and ends in verse 2, verse two and verse 23. The secret to strength and victory and fulfillment and peace is not by waiting around. It's to get busy doing what God has already told you to do. When you understand that God doesn't need you, but that he wants to use you, you're going to be like the Proverbs 31 woman who refuses to eat the bread of idleness. If you feel stuck and you've asked the Lord what's next, just think, wait, is there something he's already told me I should be doing? It's very important. It's like sometimes, you know, you're driving and you're trying to get out of a parking garage. Has anybody ever had this? Like, all right, you, maybe you went to a restaurant or something and, and you're downtown and you don't really know how to get to the highway, right? And you turn your phone on and, like, type in the next address, but you're in this big, thick parking garage and it's just, like, no data, don't have anything for you. It just says, like, find a road. Maybe, maybe, maybe some of those GPSs just get on a road, okay? So you just navigate around the parking garage, you get on a road, and then the GPS kicks in. It's like, oh, here's the path to take. Some of us in this room could be like that right now. You're depressed. You're stuck. You don't know what to do. Just get on a road, Okay? Do the next thing that God, what has God actually told you to do? You take that next step, and then the next step follows after that, one by one. Now, you actively, patiently wait on the Lord by doing what he's called you to do. Um, and the other thing that I, that I noticed here in this, in this chapter is you never know who's watching you, right? Um. There are times when people are observing us when we don't even know it. Boaz had the awesome opportunity to observe Ruth before she knew that he was even watching. Remember? He said, it has been reported to me. He, he found out that she was on fire for the Lord. He found out that she was a great daughter-in-law. She was the type of person who was sacrificial. That's the type of person who's going to make a great mom one day, Right? That's what he's thinking about. In verse 4, you have it the other way around as well, where, where Ruth is observing something about Boaz. You know, Boaz comes into the field, on, you know, riding in on his 
Camelac Escalade and, uh, you know, gets off. And how does he address the workers? The Lord be with you. And you can see there, they address him back. The Lord be with you. Bless you. Like, this is a guy in the middle of the book of Judges who's addressing people, talking about Jehovah, bringing God into the conversation. What if, what if Boaz treated his employees horribly? What if he was just like a ruthless, bitter, angry guy who just was a, had a hard fist? If he was that ruthless, I would dare say he would be ruthless later on in the story. Yeah. Yeah. Had to, had to throw that in there. Had to throw that in there. But they looked... And they observed, and they saw a character that was deeper than just looks. People are watching you, too. You never know. In the, in the daily grind of going to work, you have no idea who's looking and observing that person says they love Jesus. Do they have joy, something that I don't have? Do they have peace, something that I don't have? People are watching you. They're looking for that. So Ruth prayed for a kind man who would be kind to his children. She saw that in Boaz in her first impression with Boaz. And I think when you, when you, when you really back all of this up and you're talking about faithfulness, you don't have to necessarily be concerned about finding that special someone as if there even is the one, not really. Like, but, but don't be so concerned about finding that person as in just being that person yourself. You love God, you love others, yourself, and God's going to take care of the rest. Stop waiting on God and do what he's already told you to do. And, and secondly, the last piece here is trust his providence. Ruth had trust in God. It's a great example for all of us. Now, providence is a word that I've already mentioned a few times here today. I mentioned it last week as well. It's the whole theme of this book. And for all of you who are like, all right, I'm going to go home and just do a word study on providence. Let me get my concordance out and, and go after this word study. You're going to be disappointed, okay? Because the word providence is actually not in Scripture. But its teaching is on every page of Scripture. I have a definition for providence for you. I, I heard this this week. I wrote it down. I wanted to share it with you. God's endless attention and meticulous care to every tiny detail in your life to make you a masterpiece showcasing his glory. That's the providence of God. You're writing lines in that story. He's orchestrating the whole story. He's the one who's made the book, bound the book. He will publish the book. He's, he's working behind that. This reminds me of Ephesians 2.10 in the New Testament, talking about Christians who were redeemed and saved by Jesus Christ, which is where this, this story in Ruth is going as well. It's a picture of that. But in Ephesians 2.10, we are told that if you're in Christ, you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, that we should walk in them. The, the Greek word workmanship is the word for a poem. It's like a poem or a painting or a play. And he's sovereignly controlling it all. 
What he's weaving together is there to show, your, to show his glory, and it's for your good. And, and what we have here in Ruth, and we're starting to actually see more of this story unfold, but, but maybe you're there right now as well, where it's like your face is just smashed into this black smudge, and it's all you can see is darkness. And nothing really looks great, and it's all blurry, and I have no answers. But as soon as you back up a little bit and get a, and a, get a bigger picture of the whole view, you can see that that, that black smudge is actually a dark piece and a light piece. And in this painting that God is painting, you have to have lights and darks for it to pop, right? And as soon as you zoom out and look past the smudge that's in your eye, God is using all of those colors to make something beautiful. Because that's who he is. So don't get oppressed and stay stuck in in the, in the shading, all right? It's just a piece of the grand picture. You don't have to react. You don't have to stay a victim. You can stop waiting on God and, and literally be faithful and trust him. And he will take care of the rest. If you could all stand up, worship team, you can come up. We're going to continue this this story next week into chapter three. And we're going to see more about who Boaz, Boaz is, more of his character. We're going to see more of, of Ruth's character. All of this points us to a great hope, a God who loves us, a God who meticulously cares for every single tiny detail of your life. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows what you had for breakfast. He knows what's coming up three days from now. It's going to be a really big gut punch. God knows all. God knows all of that. And he's asked you to trust him. And he's asked for you to live your life in a way that shows his glory. That's the kind of God we have. He will give us the power. He will fill us with his presence. He will move through us when we don't stay focused on exactly what I can see right now and we look ahead in faith to what he has for us. We thank you, Father in heaven. Praise you for who you are, the high king of heaven. You hold this world in the palm of your hand. And Lord, there is nothing too big for you. Our biggest problems, not, not to make them more insignificant than they need to be, but our biggest problems, you fully understand. Jesus, you were the great high priest who came to this earth. You suffered and died. You went through every single emotional pain and torment you went through every scenario of people turning their back, of people running away. Lord, you were forsaken for us. You know what it's like. You know what we're in, what we're in for. Thinking about Jesus and how, how you were forsaken by God. You were eternally together in harmony, in the Trinity. 
And there was a time when you took our sin upon yourself to the point that God had to turn away and you died. And we praise you that you rose again. You conquered sin and death. And it is finished. It's over. Freedom, restoration. And you're creating a new family. Lord, we thank you for that. We praise you for that. We can see this. You're the same God all the way back here in the book of Ruth. You're the same God today. You have not changed. We praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. The good stuff as well, but Romans 12, 9 through 14. Say it with me. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. You are loved.